apologize up front um, about my voice. I uh, got sick in the middle of the, the week and um, it's just kind of drug on and on. And I started to lose my voice a little bit yesterday and uh, it didn't help probably that I uh, did seven different devotionals at halftime for different basketball games from upwards yesterday. So I feel like we're just barely hanging on by a thread this morning, but by the grace of God, I woke up and do still at least have a voice for right now. So I'm counting on you. I mean, we're in a message series on prayer. I'm counting on you to be praying that God will enable me to continue to preach and hold on at least for 30 more minutes or so. And if it goes out, I mean, it's, it's all your fault. I'm blaming you. You weren't paying attention for the four weeks we've been in our prayer series. No, it's, it's been a good uh, four weeks to be able to dive into God's word together and to look at these different new covenant prayers that um, we've been studying you know if you've been here, for example, that we looked at a new covenant prayer uh, that Jesus himself prayed in John chapter 17, where he prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Still, even saying that after diving into it just blows my mind, that Jesus would pray that you and I would have the opportunity to be one in the same way that he and the Father are one. Unity and intimacy. And of course, that prayer was answered through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, the Apostle Paul could write the prayers that he wrote to several different New Testament, New Covenant churches that we looked at for about three weeks. One of those prayers that Paul wrote was to the church at Ephesus and you may remember we saw in that prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 that since that union did occur that Jesus prayed about that oneness did occur in their lives that he can pray since we've been united to God through Jesus since that happened and since we've been rooted and established in his love Paul prays that we would begin to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep his love really is for us. I mean, out of all the things that Paul could pray for, he prays that we would grasp how much God really does love us. I think Paul knew and understood this because, of course, it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit how much we needed to know that God really does love us, the fullness of that, because otherwise we would spend the majority of our time and our activity chasing after love that we already had and that we were already rooted in and established in. But if we begin to know and grasp how loved and how fully loved we really are, then we're just free. We don't have to go trying to impress him or impress anyone else to receive the love that we feel like we have because we know we already have it in him and we're already experiencing it in him. So then that just frees us up to do what Paul prayed for the Philippians. In Philippians, Paul prayed, hey, since you've been filled with God's agape love, since you have it, you know, and, and I've already prayed in other places that you would grasp how long and why and high and, high and deep it is, then now I'm praying that this love that you already have and are filled with would abound more and more in the relationships that you have with each other. You're full. You don't have to go searching for it anymore from other people and take from them. You can just 
give freely of the love I've already filled you up with in your relationships with others. And Paul prayed that this would happen, that God would do that work of their love abounding more and more and more from within in the love that he had already rooted, established them in. And then finally, we looked at a prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossians in chapter 1 where he kind of encompasses a lot of the things that we see in the new covenant and that we, we have because of this union. Paul prayed there for us to be able to bear fruit in every good work. Not to produce the fruit, but that we would bear fruit in every good work. Again, Jesus would do the fruit producing as the vine and as the branches. We would be the ones to just bear it. So he prays that would happen. He prays also that the Holy Spirit would grow our knowledge of God as we live in union with him. He prayed in that same prayer that we would be strengthened with his power that is within us, that we wouldn't work on our own power out of our own flesh, but it would be spirit-empowered activity that would guide all of our lives because we have the spirit dwelling in us. And then finally in that prayer, he prayed that we would give joyful thanks to God the Father. And here's why. He said, I'm praying that you'll give joyful thanks to God the Father because he's qualified you to share in his inheritance already and you've already been removed from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light. So since that's already happened and you're able to walk in that light and experience the union that Jesus prayed for and you're filled with his love already and you don't have to go search for it anymore, then walk in joyful thanks with all that you have and all the blessings that you have because of what Jesus accomplished for you and has given to you freely, right? So these prayers that we see and we've studied are these beautiful blessings of grace that have been poured out into our lives. And we've been learning how, well, we can model much of our prayers in the same way that these kinds of prayers were written. And we've spent time praying those together, and hopefully you've spent some time praying those things on your own. But today, as we finish up this prayer series, we are going to look at one final prayer that the disciples prayed in Acts chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles or a device with a Bible app on it, you can be turning there, Acts chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 23 in just a moment. But of course, we've got to be familiar and aware before we dive into this that the new covenant had started, that this prayer that the disciples are about to pray they are praying is going to be a new covenant prayer that they weren't living under the new covenant when they were walking with Jesus because remember the new covenant hadn't started they were living still under the old covenant with Jesus throughout the three-year ministry the new covenant started after his death his resurrection and the sending of the Holy Spirit because now the Spirit would be in them and they would be experiencing all of these things that we just highlighted in all of these other prayers that we talked about. That oneness. Jesus was with them, but now he was in them, right? And so this happened in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit does come. They're experiencing this union. They see his love. We see his grace. We see his power. We see his salvation being poured out through them as the book of Acts continues. 
And by the time we get to Acts chapter 3, one of those acts is the Lord healing a guy through Peter at this gate called Beautiful. And this guy had been lame since birth. And we're told that Jesus heals him through Peter and he does what most of us would do if we couldn't have, if we wouldn't have been able to walk from birth. Now he's able to walk. He starts walking and jumping and running and praising the Lord because he could walk after all those years of not being able to. Well, you see that kind of thing happen and all of a sudden a guy that they're used to seeing sitting around and not able to walk, jumping and running and yelling and screaming and praising God, that's gonna do what? get everybody's attention right so now that peter has everyone's attention after jesus healed this guy through him the holy spirit uses peter now to share the gospel with all of these people to tell them about how this guy was healed and how salvation could be found in and through jesus alone and we're told that about a thousand people in this moment did receive salvation in that moment but also what happened here was, again, this was causing a scene among the Jewish leaders and the, the Romans who were in charge of keeping the peace, and they didn't like that this was causing a disturbance. And so the Jewish leaders had Peter and John arrested in Acts chapter 3. They threatened them. They said, don't you dare go telling other people about this Jesus anymore. You better stop teaching these people about Jesus or else and remember these guys had power when they threatened people they meant business this was not to be taken lightly they could inflict pain on them they could make their lives miserable they could inflict suffering upon them that no one would want to be a part of had to be a scary moment so let's see how they respond beginning in verse 23 chapter 4 of acts says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. Okay, so I know we didn't really get very far, but we've got to stop there because that's really interesting to me. And I think there's something that we even see here that applies to us today. We don't necessarily see it, but Luke, when he's writing Acts here, is using an idiom here to describe the church to describe this group of people that Peter and John go back to. It's kind of similar to us today saying, I went back to my people, or I went back to my tribe, right? It's an idiom, an expression. It captures the fact that they had a group of people that they belonged to, which is really what church is, a group of people that we belong to and that they belong to us it's similar to what Jesus prayed about in John 17 that we would be one as they are one that we would be united to Jesus and then through that union with him we would all be united together and we would belong to each other and because they belonged to each other once they experienced this persecution and these threats they went back to the people that they belonged to I highlight this because I do see a number of times when people who have been in church and they belong to the church and they begin to have situations and circumstances in their lives that present themselves that 
that, that are less than best, right? That are less than good in their lives and they disappear. They isolate themselves from the church. They run from those in the church. They try to handle things in their, on their own terms or they go to people out in the world to solve those problems and this is not the way the Lord intended that to be. Don't go to the world when things get difficult. Don't isolate yourself from the people that you belong to when life gets difficult. This should be the time that we run to the church, that we run to the people that we belong to to receive support and encouragement and point us back to Jesus who our ultimate hope is in. This is what Peter and John did in that moment. They didn't flee, they went back to their people that they belonged to. As the verse goes on, it says that they went back to their people and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And so they told everyone about how the Jewish leaders threatened them. They warned them, hey, it's going to be really, really bad for you if you keep this up. So they made sure to let everyone else know what would happen to them and any of them if they continued to teach and talk about Jesus. So how did they respond? Verse 24, when they heard this news, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Several things to note about just that little statement right there. Number one, their response to persecution, to being threatened, to life situations and circumstances not going their way was to pray. This is what they were led to do they got on their knees to talk to God about these events and the circumstances in their lives which of course is a great reminder to us instead of trying to handle the things on our own quickly instead of running and asking others how we should fix this problem or that problem maybe the first thing that we should do is also get on our hands and knees and bring it before the Lord who sits above it all and the situation and circumstance we find ourselves in is really no surprise to him so we address him about those things. The second thing to notice is, the, is how they prayed. They prayed together. I mean, it's great to be able to go to the Lord and pray individually anytime that we want, but they prayed together as a group. There's something really powerful when we pray together. Of course, that doesn't diminish the fact that your time in prayer can't be powerful when you're alone with God. But I'm just saying, I think most of you would agree that when you've been in situations where you've had the opportunity to pray with other people and hear the way the Holy Spirit is leading other people to pray, and when you're praying alongside of them and they're affirming what it is that you're praying, that there is just something moving about that. There's something powerful about being able to pray together in this way it's one of the reasons that we've made it a priority on Wednesday nights to pray together before we go into our classes and I know many of you were here this last Wednesday night I was so sad to miss the first Wednesday night because I had gotten sick um, that day but no doubt it was a powerful time for us as a church to be able to pray about what's going on in our own lives and the lives of others and what the Lord's doing in and through us as a church during this time that we're out of our worship center and here and in all of the above and so I hope and pray that you will continue to make that a priority us praying together as a group but there's something else a third thing to make sure that we don't miss here because this word that was originally used in Greek to be 
translated together doesn't just mean physically together. It means with one accord. It may even be translated that way in whatever version of the Bible you are following along in this morning. They raised their voices with one accord. That means they were praying together in unity. They didn't have one person praying, well, I hope this happens, and these are my preferences over here, and this person praying something completely opposed to whatever this person was praying about. They were united together. Of course, that's a work of the Holy Spirit leading them to pray in unison and together and with one accord. And as you and, as you and I come together physically, and we're focused on the Holy Spirit in us to lead us in those times of group prayer, he will do the same thing. He will unite us together and lead us to pray with one accord. So these are their responses to the threats that they had received in their lives to pray, to pray physically together, to pray with one accord. Now, let's see what they actually prayed, beginning in verse 20. Let's do, because verse 24 continues. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Again, a couple of things to notice as they start this prayer. The way that they address God, sovereign Lord. This isn't the usual word that would have been translated Lord or Kyrios that they would use. This is the word that we get our English word despot from. That carries a little bit of a negative connotation or a lot among us today, but it didn't back then. It's just their way of addressing God as with one with absolute power, one with authority or supremacy. They were referring to God as the ultimate authority. These guys who were just threatened and had power had nothing on the one who is in ultimate authority even over them in other words. So they address him as the sovereign Lord. But basically, as they went on, you may have noticed that they also addressed him as the Lord of creation, right? I mean, they said, you made the heavens, you made the earth, you made the sea, and you made everything in them. In other words, not only are you just the sovereign Lord, but we see that in the way that you are the Lord of creation. Of course, the question is why? They'd just been threatened by all of these people. What's the big deal about them starting off their prayer with sovereign Lord and you're the, you're the Lord of creation? Well, again, these guys that they were threatened by had power. But if you can speak things into existence, if you can create things from nothing, then that shows once again you are the sovereign Lord. You are the one with ultimate authority. And so they are addressing him after being threatened by these guys with power as the one who has more power than they do. Now let's see what he goes on to say because he doesn't just address them as sovereign Lord or address him as the Lord of creation. Next, you're gonna see him address them addressed him as the Lord of Revelation, the Lord who reveals things to us. Verse 25, you, referring back to God, right? You spoke, you revealed how? By the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of your servant David, your father David. So it may have been David. You've seen communicate, but make no mistake about it. It was God revealing this through David by the Holy Spirit. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. This is a direct quote from Psalm 2. They're quoting Psalm 2, which of course is found in the Old Testament. And what the disciples are saying is this prayer is that God was the one revealing through this psalm, he did it through David by the Holy Spirit about what was happening in their time right there in that moment or that had just happened to Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit was prophesying through David that nations, kings, rulers, and the peoples of the earth were going to band together against Jesus hundreds of years prior to it actually happening. And now in verse 27, as they continue to pray, they pray about how this actually did happen, that Jesus prophesied or God prophesied would happen hundreds of years earlier. Verse 27, indeed, Herod, Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. So each person that's mentioned here in this verse represents one who was mentioned in Psalm 2 hundreds of years prior to these events actually happening. It's a reference to the things they had just mentioned in verse 25 and 26. The raging nations that was mentioned in Psalm 2 were the Gentile rulers that were mentioned in 27 and the soldiers who executed Jesus. The people who plotted in vain that was written in Psalm 2 were the people of Israel who were plotting against Jesus. And we see that all throughout the Gospels. And of course it was done in vain because he rose from the dead and received the victory. The kings of the earth and the rulers who band together were Herod and Pontius Pilate. In other words, the disciples are praying about how God revealed as the Lord of Revelation, not just the sovereign Lord, not just the Lord of creation, but the Lord of Revelation who reveals things to us even hundreds of years before they ever happen. What would happen, and it just happened with Jesus, again, showing his sovereignty, his power, and authority. But there's a fourth way that they're going to address the Lord, and that is also the Lord of history. Look at verse 28 as they go on in the prayer. It says, They, according to all those people that we just mentioned, did what your power, God, you and your power, and you and your will had decided beforehand should happen even though all of these people were scheming even though all of these people were plotting and trying to stop Jesus dead in his tracks God was allowing all of it to happen as part of his plan to rescue the world from sin and bondage it was all done in vain because God is sovereign therefore he is the God of history remember history is nothing more than his story right he has a plan he's moving it along and he's working in and through even the bad things that happen according to his sovereignty and the plan that he decided would happen ahead of time so this is all part of a prayer where the disciples are acknowledging God as the all-powerful sovereign Lord and that is seen in the fact that he's the Lord of creation that he's the Lord of revelation and that he is the Lord of history and all of this is building up to a request 
All of this stuff that they're praying is building up because he is the all-powerful one that can fulfill the request that they are about to make. So they acknowledge all of things, these things up front ahead of time before they make the request to make sure that they're acknowledging that he is the one that can do what it is that they are going to ask. And remember, they've just been threatened by powerful people, but now they're talking to the one who is way more powerful than them. And here's their request in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. A little bit different, most likely, than the way you and I tend to pray. Maybe I shouldn't put you in it. A little bit different than the way I would tend to pray, right? Because listen, I'm just telling you, if this is me, if I'm in the situation that the disciples are in, and I'm the one who's being threatened, I'm the one who's going, Jesus, all I did was tell people about you and trying to make sure more people don't miss out on your grace and your love and your mercy. And this is the way I'm going to be treated. This is what you're going to let happen to me as a result of doing all of those things. You know what, Lord? I want revenge. You know what? I want to make sure that my situations and my circumstances get better. You know what, Lord? I hope that you will protect me from these things since all I'm out there doing is telling people about Jesus, which is what you wanted me to do. But what do they pray? Lord, enable us. In other words, just empower us to continue doing what it is that we were doing regardless of whatever it is that they're going to do to us as a result of that. Regardless of whatever happens to us, just give us the courage, give us the strength, the power to just keep telling people about Jesus, even if that means we are going to suffer. That's not the way I tend to pray. Maybe that's the way you pray, but I'm just telling you, that's not the way that I would tend to pray. These guys want to make sure that no one no one misses out on the grace of God, that no one misses out on his complete forgiveness, that no one misses out on his agape love, that no one misses out on his eternal life in the way that they had that in their own lives and were experiencing it and filled up with it so they were just free to go tell other people about it regardless of whatever was going to happen because they still had the life of Jesus. They were still going to experience the abundant life with him and if they killed them, you know what? I'll just experience the abundant life on the other side of these things. So they say, Sovereign Lord, Lord of creation, Lord of revelation, and Lord of history. We know that those who threaten us can't stop you because you're just moving your plan forward. And we know that your plan is to continue to have more and more people hear the gospel, the good news. And since you live in us, then enable us, empower us, embolden us, and just continue to use us in your kingdom work no matter what. This is their prayer. And God answers 
their prayer. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In the Old Testament, the shaking of a place was known as a theophany or a manifestation of God in visible form. In other words, this was God's way of showing them that he was present, that he was with them and in them and would answer their prayer. And of course he did. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Go read the rest of the book of Acts. And you'll see that they continued to speak the word of God boldly and more and more people came to know Jesus. The church spread, the church continued, and 2,000 years later, you and I are one of those churches who are gathering because they had been emboldened and empowered to go on regardless of whatever was going to happen to them and ultimately did happen to them as a result of those things now i do want to clear something up here make sure that we're not confused by this it says that they were filled by the holy spirit Uh, that happened already in acts chapter 2 this was a way of saying that they were enabled to do what they had been asked already by an ever-present spirit that was already inside of them to do Here's the way Daryl Bach put it in his commentary on the book of Luke. The filling with the Spirit means the enablement to proclaim the word that follows. This is a separate act, he says, from the indwelling that appeared in Acts 2. It's specific to the request for boldness, not a second blessing or a second Pentecost. In other words, they didn't receive the Holy Spirit a second time. In other words, they, didn't, they hadn't lost the Holy Spirit from the first time and needed him to fill them again in that moment. They had been filled. They were filled. This is a way of simply saying they were enabled. They were empowered by the Spirit who already dwelt in them to now go do what it is that they asked. Speak the word of God boldly. And this is the same way that you and I should be praying today as well. The same Holy Spirit lives in us. Whenever we pray for us to be emboldened and enabled by the Holy Spirit to do something, it's our way of saying, Lord, I can't do it. I cannot do this in my own flesh, in my own power, in my own strength. But since you dwell in me, your power lives in me, enable me, embolden me, strengthen me through your power to carry out what it is that you are prompting and leading me to do. And God will always do that. He will always enable us to do what he prompts us to do through the Holy Spirit in the first place. He will not leave us hanging. And so this is the way that you and I pray as well. And as we close out this series today and as we get ready to hopefully, if the weather holds, have hundreds, maybe thousands of people walk onto our campus this afternoon who may not know Jesus, let's be praying that he will enable us and embolden us and empower us to love them and to serve them and to share the good news of Jesus with them today.
Let's make this our prayer on Wednesday nights when we gather together and we pray physically together and we pray with one accord that God would use us as his church, the group of people that he's led us to belong to, to link arms and partner together, to to do what we can as he prompts us and enables and empowers us to reach this community that he's placed us in with the gospel. Let's pray that he will send us out as the church each and every single Sunday after we've gathered together to worship him to use us and work through us in our neighborhoods and in our schools and on our sports teams and in our jobs and with our friends and with our family to share the good news of Jesus so that no one no one in the Tyler area or beyond misses out on the grace of God and the agape love and the complete forgiveness that he offers to all people this is what we gather together around and as we experience all of those things that we've talked about the last four weeks this incredible union and the blessings and the intimacy and the abundant life that we have in Christ then our prayer becomes I am so free Lord because you've given me everything that I need I am just free to be able to be used in your kingdom work wherever it is that your spirit leads me and however it is that you empower me to carry it out. And this is the way that we pray together. This is our hope that more and more people will come to know Jesus as he enables us and emboldens us to share the gospel with them. Each and every single week we have closed our time out after talking about prayer and diving into God's word together by praying together and quite honestly I didn't prepare for this none of these guys who are walking up here know (laughs) uh, that I'm going to ask you to do this because I'm just feeling like the Lord is leading us to do this and who knows how it's going to go and for how long it's going to go but you know what We're just going to do it anyway. I'm going to ask you to stand. And instead of even playing in the background or doing anything right now, you can go ahead and stand. I meant it when I said I'm going to ask you to stand. All right? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to enter into a time of praying together. And we just read about how the disciples prayed physically together. And they prayed of one accord. And I think that also means that they prayed out loud together. And so in this moment, I'm going to open us up. And then if you feel led to pray, I'm going to ask you to just pray out loud so that others can hear it in this room as the church physically together and with one accord. Now keep in mind, you don't have a mic. We're not prepared to do this. If you do it on this side, they can't hear you on this side of the room. You're gonna have to do it with all your might and ask the Lord to empower you to carry your voice so that other people can hear it. But I feel like the Holy Spirit will lead us in this time and after we've had a time to be able to pray together in this way, 
I'll come back and close this out. But you pray if the Spirit leads you to pray together in this moment. Father God, we open our hearts and our minds to you right now. We've just learned and studied about how you and your Spirit led the disciples to to pray based on all of the new covenant blessings that they had and were experiencing in you for you and your life to be expressed through them. And so, Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit who already dwells in us, who's already here and always with us to lead us and embolden us to pray out loud together in this moment as you lead us and empower us to do so.